Welcome to the Overland Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with the illustrious Clay Croft from Expedition Overland. Clay, man, it's always such a wonder to see you, man. Just Good to see you, too. Yeah, it's so great when we get to spend time together. And you have got, you and your team have got so much going on. So our goal today is let's talk about some of what you got going on. But I really want to talk about Alaska. I want to talk about your adventure there, the things that you've learned. And then let's talk about your next trip. So we'll talk about that in the podcast as well. And then some of the new vehicles you guys are preparing. And then you've got a new podcast that you guys have started as well that people need to know about. So let's, let's dive into that. And a special thanks to Moon Fabrications for supporting this week's podcast. Moonshade by Moon Fabrications is the portable vehicle awning you've been waiting for. Moonshade is built to last, simple to set up, and chips with everything you need to mount the Moonshade to most vehicle styles without a drill right out of the box. With over 60 square feet of shade coverage and multiple setup configurations, Moonshade is the ideal choice for rigs of all sizes. Moonshade only weighs 8 pounds and shrinks down to the size of a yoga mat so you can pack more of what you need out on the trail. Visit moonfab.com. That's M-O-O-N-F-A-B.com to place your order today. For the worst summer sun, treat yourself to the best. Moonshade has you covered. Thanks, Moonshade. Alaska, I was watching the show. It is so neat to see you interact with your kids and and just the way that you set that whole thing up. What inspired you to do things so different from like the typical, they were usually like this, these hardcore dude trips. And now it's like dude plus little dudes that are learning from the guys. Yeah. So what inspired you to do that so differently? It's a good question. Uh, I think mentorship has always been something that was, has been very important to me. Mm. I've had a lot of great mentors over the years. And uh, now that my- What were some mentors that you can remember in your life and and what did you learn from Mm. them? Oh man, I've, my uncle Jim Bode, who is a legendary cowboy, Mm. learning from him, working from him, working under him. Then when I got into college, I had some really great like spiritual mentors sure, stuff that really kind of taught me the ropes of as you step into manhood, you know, you're actually like doing it, yeah, you know, and then they're like guiding you do it this way or maybe not that way (laughs) and look this way. Yeah. As I've got into fatherhood, you've got your father mentors in business. We got business mentors. You've been one of our mentors. It's been a part of my life and it has impacted my life so significantly. Like I would not be who I am or where I am in life without these people. Sure. And remaining teachable, staying, staying open. It seems like the, the people that struggle the most in life are the ones that think they've got it all figured out. As soon as you think you got it figured out, you're, you're wrong. You're you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. And I, and we've all gone through times, I'm sure, where I know I have, where I'm like, oh, I feel like I kind of got it made. And then just <laughs> right around the then corner. Then life's like, what about some Yeah. Yeah. So I've, now you're like, okay, okay, okay. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't want to, I'm going to, I need to stay humble because I don't like the pain yeah. of pride. Yeah. You know, as much as I can avoid it, it is, it's just too painful. And it's a pretty far fall. Too. Oh, it like hurts. Like when you got a bunch of people that are there with you. Pride and, and thinking you got it all figured out. And it, if you think you've got it all figured out, you're probably not trying hard enough to, yeah. because it, as you keep 
progressing and working harder towards bigger and better things, you re- you always just continually realizing how much you don't know. Well, you have to. I mean, they, I, that's what I, one of the things that I kind of love about that Dunning-Kruger effect is that it reminds us that in the beginning of learning something new, most people are overconfident. Yeah. So they don't realize actually how much there is to learn. So they can consider themselves to be highly competent, even though they maybe know 1% of what there is to know. Mm-hmm. And then you go through this period of time, this kind of trough where you're realizing like the deeper I get out into the ocean, the deeper the water is. Mm -hmm. So even though you're further away from land, you've made progress, the water has actually gotten much deeper. So there's so much more to learn. And then towards the end of your career, then you get back into that mindset of that you feel that you don't know much, even though you've learned so much, you've made it so far out into the ocean, you've learned so many of the skills that you need for life, but that humility comes back and you realize is that, you know what, even though I've done these things, I still only know a small percentage of what there is to know. Yeah. And having that student mindset in life, it really helps us to to bring others around us. And we realize how much we need help from others and that your successes that you've had, Clay, are, in, are so impressive. But behind you are all of these incredibly impressive people. Yes. Like Rochelle and even your boys to watch them on the film and the people that you've worked with and that have brought you to that point. It's so impressive to see this powerhouse of individuals that have helped helped us get there. Yeah, it really takes a team. I mean, down to grandparents watching kids yeah making sure. making the time away possible and taking care of your kids when you've got to like go move the needle somewhere yeah. to make it all happen yeah mentorship is something that was a foundational thing alaska is also one of those places that just i don't know it's very uh nostalgic sure and so it's really easy to get into some of these ideas of mentorship and stuff when you're up there because, you know, old hunting guides and just wilderness and really far back country. It just there's consequences. Uh, in oh, that, yeah. In those so there's so too. much to like, OK, yeah. let's think through this. Yeah. You know, I also think when it came to the Alaska series, having that thread of mentorship in it is also kind of my time in life, too, because yeah. my boys are getting older. Cyrus was just turning, he just turned 16, was still getting his driver's license sure. at the time. And uh, then I got the Van Stralen brothers. Right. You know, they were 19 and 17. Yep. And then I got Cyrus, who was just 16. I mean, these guys are like, they're, they're getting up and running, but they're, right. they're clumsy. Yeah, sure. You know? So it's like, oh, do this, do that. And then I brought in other guys that I knew were really uh, on board with mentorship, Ryan Connolly sure. and Dr. John. Yeah. So Dr. Solberg. John Solberg. Yeah. And you and I had I mean, I have known Dr. John for a long time. He's contributed to Overland Journal for many years, but we had the chance to really spend time with him in Greenland. Mm-hmm. That's now, where I got to know Dr. Yeah, John. I, and that's, I know and that's when we, it was interesting because I was talking with, with Greg about who we should bring along from the medical side. And, and we were talking about different options. And I said, I said, I got this, this guy, he's an, he's an ex army trauma surgeon. And I said, he's a, he's down. Yeah. And Greg's like, it's like the right guy, the right guy. And he ended up being the perfect guy. The perfect guy. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we the Alaska expedition came along with, we had some other hardcore ideas yeah. before that, but the whole COVID stuff. Yeah, sure. You know, so I had asked John for, you know, hey, do you want to be a part of this, this other idea? And he right. was down. Right. And then, uh, so none of that worked out. So I called him back and I said, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to do this now. And it's really, really different. It's going to, I'm going to have these guys and we're going to, these young guys, and we're going to go into Alaska and we're, we're just going to go look around and fish and right. do that sort of trip. Right. Do you still want to go? Fully expected him to be like, no. Yeah, I'm out. He, and he, he thought about it for 
for a couple of days and he said, no, I'm in hundred percent. So I was like, all right, cool. And John, Dr. John ended up being like, he is so fatherly. He is. Yeah. He's, he's at the expo here. I didn't know. So that. yeah, he's coming in today. Um, and he, he, he's North Dakota boy Yeah, and his dad's a farmer and all that. So he yeah. had so much to offer these guys. He taught, he taught them so much. I learned so much. Sure. And we took care of each other every night. We're in the Patriot camper and we'd like, Hey, do you need the beard oil for the night? And I'm like, here you go. And, and in the morning he'd wake up and he'd make me a coffee. We're always taking care of each other. It's good. It makes all the difference. Yeah. And also the Alaska trip that you just did is kind of an origin story too, because mm-hmm. it's one of the big trips that you guys started with. Yeah. It's where I started as my camera career. That's right. Cinematography career. I worked up there on a little show called Our Five Sons Alaska, and it taught us how to shoot remotely in the backcountry, living out of this lodge, operating off of generators. And That was so neat seeing you reinteract with those folks. You had parents up there. Yeah, that you had met over a decade prior. Yeah. Over a decade. And I hadn't seen them in a long time. And then we did shoot the original Alaska series. And when we shot that, when I was in 2013, that was, that was so big, yeah. you know, to go to Alaska. That was the dream, yeah. which is so many people's dream still. And it should be. Yeah. It's an amazing place to go, right. especially as your big overland trip, first big overland trip. It was great to go there. Having that kind of experience also led towards uh, the stewardship, mentorship towards these other guys. Cause you're, you're very familiar with the place and you're sure. like, you feel kind of at home. Right there. And so you can facilitate more, more stuff. So I was reading this book. The name of the book is, I think it's called your rich life or something like Mm -hmm. that. There's this concept in there about, you got to kind of identify the stuff that really, that really makes a difference for you. That really matters because you see so many people that never really achieve financial freedom. It's because they buy all of the things or they buy some cheap version of all of the things because they feel like they have to have all the stuff. So they, you know, they buy a fairly expensive toaster, a fairly expensive this, and they're always leasing their cars and they're always trying to acquire all of the things. Whereas if you just decide on like, what's really important, like what is your rich life? And for me, coffee is one of those things. So I spare no expense, (laughs) but then, but then I don't, I don't spend money on a bunch of other things and that, yeah, coffee's like pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. I I actually don't, don't really know what it, what else would be on that list. I mean, there are things that like hobbies, like I love, I love sailing. So I, I do spend money on that, but then I also just don't spend money on a bunch of other things. And then it frees up you know, resources. Yeah. As I'm getting further, I'm getting that more and more that way. You got to decide the thing that just like really makes a difference for you because it's surprising. Like, let's say you're kind of into guns and you spend a bunch of money on guns, but you're not, it's not really the thing that you really love. Yeah. Then you could spend $10,000 that could go towards financial freedom in the future. Mm-hmm that could be invested and used to your advantage. Some people are really into cars and then maybe that's their rich life is to do that. I think his name is Ramit Sethi is the, is the author's name. I have to read that book. Yeah. It's a pretty good book. I mean, this was the key takeaway for me. There were other parts of the book that were, that were not so great, but that was the key takeaway of like, cause you'll hear other financial advisors. They'll say, Oh, don't, don't buy a coffee and save that $3 every day. It's not enough. Whereas if you don't buy a $50,000 car, It actually moves the needle. <laughs> that actually really moves the needle. Yeah. But you got to figure out what, what really works for you. And then that allows you to spend those resources on your future and building towards the future. So that was a total tangent, but yeah. that no, was that's a good tangent. tangent. Your coffee Fired is my, my 62 series Land Cruiser. See, there you go. Like, you and know, I've spent a lot of money on that car, Yeah, but I get in it and I take it to go get coffee <laughs> and, <laughs> I like and that. it brings me so much joy to yeah. get in that car and drive down to the coffee shop, you know, cause life's crazy. Life's hectic. Crazy. And then that's what I've spent. And I just love getting in that thing. 
It brings me so much joy. And it's a 60 or a 62? Which one? It's a 62. So it has the automatic. Yeah. yeah. Rochelle, I mean, she's like an amazing barista. Yeah. You know, so she, like, I remember coming to your house years ago and she's like, she's like making me like this, the most perfect cappuccino right there from your kitchen. She still yeah. does. Yeah. She loves incredible. it too. That's Coffee's incredible. a big thing in our house too. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, if all of these newfangled trucks that you've got, if they all went away and you walked out of your house and you saw your 62. 62. I'd be okay. It would be just fine. Wouldn't I'd be it? fine. So yeah. I think, I think it's just important to know what those things are. So yeah. that way we don't spend a bunch of time, energy, time is way more valuable than money anyways, but yeah. it all takes something from us to try to maintain stuff that people don't actually care about. So true. I think even through, through the last couple of trips and I guess getting older, you realize how important time is. Yeah. You, know, you and I've had a lot of good discussions about this over the years on our, on our trips and stuff like, okay. yeah, we're stuck in land cruisers for days and days and days. Yeah. yeah. We get to, you know, we're doing a, amazing things, but, and then you get this time of reflection where you're like, man, the time is truly, our time is truly the most important thing that we can have. doesn't matter how much money you have or anything. Cause once you, once you lose people in your life, you start to see other things of your life go away because of the natural process of life. Like kids right. leaving the house pretty soon or sure. friends or family passing away and stuff. Time is everything. So now I'm, I'm not really focused anymore on like how much money I can make or whatever. It's really getting into how much I can manage the time I've got to make sure that I'm living the fullest life that we possibly can. And the trips that we plan to go do are are trips that mean a lot to us because we're going to be gone for months. It better matter. Yeah. You better be there for a reason and know why you're there, not just to be making a cool movie or whatever, you know. Well, and what a perfect example of that with Alaska. It's something that was really important to you. It was important to do with your boys and important to do with other young men in your life. And it was important to bring other mentors along that you care about, you've spent time with, developed friendships and relationships with. And it really came across in the show. It really came across. I mean, you could see in the beginning that people are getting used to each other. A lot of those guys hadn't met each other. Which is, that even says more about it. Yeah. And then you start introducing these other folks as they, as they come in to the story, you know, by the time the thing gets to the middle, like everybody's working together and they're all learning from each other. What were some of the key things that you learned from the young guys? What did they teach you on that trip? It's always refreshing to have new sets of eyes come back into something that you've been doing a lot of and to see their excitement. I take energy off of that. You know, it kind of feeds me to like, Oh yeah, I remember how that felt when this was all so new yeah. and it, it, it pulls it up, pulls that feeling up and it, it feels so good. They teach you a lot by what, you know, the younger generation, if you're watching them, they're showing you which way the, the world's going, what's <laughs> coming. Cause they have different priorities. And we talked about different stuff that I wouldn't have never talked about. So I, I feel like I got tuned up a little bit, like a little bit more in touch with, you know, what's actually happening out there from, you know, from yeah. their perspective. You know, I yeah. don't have, I don't have kids, Clay, but I have to say, you know, I like how generations will always be like kids these days. Right. I think kids these days are amazing. They're pretty cool. I mean, if I look back at when I was like your kid's age, I was an absolute maniac. I mean, like the torture that my, my poor parents <laughs> endured yeah, yeah. at my hand, you know, and just like this completely ridiculous and dumb and irresponsible things that I did, like really like destructive things that yeah. like I, you know, things that you even regret later on. Like I look at my nephews 
you know, like 15 and 17. And they're, they're just the coolest kids on the planet. And they, they're not on social media all the time. They don't, they're so thoughtful of their mom, my sister. They're so thoughtful of her. And they're just, I love spending time with them. They're, they're way smarter than I was, you know, or I, am. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, they're way smarter than I was too at that age. So I, th- and I don't want us to use a broad brush because there's no question that families are struggling with their kids and maybe there are challenges. But I think in general, they're just much more thoughtful than they, than I was. I mean, I mean, yeah. they're just a little bit more in, in, in touch. Maybe they're having to mature mm. too quickly. Pretty amazing. Has that been your experience? Uh, I don't know. Mm. I, I'm, I'm on the boat that like kids and especially when you they grow up in an adventurous lifestyle, it is amazing how hard you can push your kids into like big things fast. Yeah. They can take it. And I, mm. I see a lot of folks out there that are like really, really guard their kids and like, oh, 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 you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And you're like, man, you should let those kids run. They can, there's kids chopping wood at eight years old all over the world. No doubt about right it. Out there, you're afraid to let them have a pocket knife. And it wasn't that long ago, historically speaking, that, and you said it's Cyrus that's 16. Yep. A 16 year old male would likely be getting married soon. Yeah. So, I mean, not that long ago in human history. Yeah, it really wasn't that long ago at all. You're right. I think that they're, they're pretty durable and, yeah. and pretty capable. Watching my own son, Cyrus, go from a, he had his learner's permit. He didn't have his driver's license yet. He was working towards it. He had never really been super interested in expedition, expedition-y things, sure. overlandy things. But then he started to get his driver's license mm-hmm. and it started to click. And then he wanted to drive hard and, and get all of his hours and stuff. And I watched him over, I mean, we were only in Alaska for four weeks. He gained over 25 hours of drive time in that four weeks that we were there. Three weeks of like drivable time. And then on top of all the other experiences, in those three weeks, if I go back and I watch that movie. It's amazing how much that kid grew in those three weeks. Yeah. Like it's expeditions or big trips like that where they get challenged at this age is like miracle grow. Yeah. You just pour it on them and it's like, <laughs> boom, they come out a different person. And we all do it to some degree, but you know, you kind of taper off as you get experience in life and blah, blah, blah. But right now, like maybe more set in man, your ways. They're just, yeah, setting your ways. They just <laughs> pulling it in and adapting. And they, the, even the Van Stralen brothers have walked out, who have been living out of Jeeps for six years, walked out of a trip like that, like completely different in yeah. ways, you know, and we've had great conversations about that. I think for them, they weren't with their family. Yeah, sure. They've done epic family road trip for a long time and they've been in that environment and we're like, all right, well, we're going to take you two boys and we're going to put them in this environment. We're going to push you over here. Interact with new people, new situations, new expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to Peter and Carol, their folks before we left and they're like, this is just like the best thing ever. Take them and run them hard. (laughs) You know, like this is awesome. Yeah. So if you're out there listening, I would say like, man, take, take the neighbor kid, take your nephews and your your niece pieces and, and get them outside and let them chop some wood, let them make yeah. some mistakes, let them go get a little lost and yeah. keep an eye on them. And, yeah. and it's, it's incredible for younger people to go do this. My mom passed away recently, as you know, and so I, I had the opportunity to take my nephews and my dad on the sailboat and my nephews had never sailed before. And again, they're super athletic, super smart, capable, like within a few hours, they're sailing this boat and I'm just sitting on the back, you know, pulpit seats with my dad and we're just watching, we're watching these kids. Brady, the youngest was on the helm and Ethan, the oldest, he's tacking the boat, running the the sheets. I mean, they're calling out the right commands, you know, we're healed over, you know, it's just, wow. It was awesome. Yeah. It was just awesome to watch. And I do think that you're right. If you can 
get the opportunity to allow a young person to feel confident, to feel safe, to try and fail, they're going to surprise the heck out of you. To try and fail. That's important. That's important for all of us. Like we're also stuck in this idea that we have to get it right the first time. Yeah. I deal with that with my boys. I don't, that's maybe something I've seen in the younger generation that they are actually quite afraid to fail and they wanted to do it right. Maybe it's just from my boy's perspective or whatever. Sure. They're, they're very afraid to fail. They take it very hard if they didn't do it right the first time. Right. So I think it's good. Overlanding is a series of problem solving and, and a series of failures. And a series of failures. <laughs> it forces people and young boys and people in general, gals too, like yeah. oh, it, it doesn't matter to have to approach problems, fail at problems, overcome those problems to keep yeah. moving. It's one of the best things I think you could ever do. It is. With anybody. And even with our own teams, you know, like when I work with my team, you know, I talk about the fact that I make mistakes all the time. And then we start to be able to talk about that. We start to realize like, oh, we had this mistake. We had this issue come up when not everyone's trying to be perfect or trying to appear perfect because you can't really be perfect. You can, you can work really hard to appear perfect, uh, but that takes an enormous amount of energy. <laughs> it's a waste of time. It is a waste of time. So I think getting to, to failure earlier and recognizing like this isn't working, especially on an overland trip. I think it totally relates to that because we do talk a lot about cascade of events and we recognize that you can make a bunch of small concessions or mistakes, whatever you want to call them. If you make a mistake and you have a concession like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. We're going to keep going. We just punctured a tire. We now have our spare on the vehicle. We're almost going to make it or we're almost at the top of the hill. Then the next tire goes and then the weather comes in and the things start compounding very quickly. Quickly. And I think that as overland travelers, if we recognize early on that failure is a component of it and that good training, making good decisions, having good preparation and planning, and then not getting too deep into it where you can't get back out. And that's really where people struggle. And it's not so much that anymore with the communications that we have and people aren't really going all that remote that often, but I think it can be really hard on relationships because things start to not go well. Next thing you know, husband and wife are fighting. Nobody's having a good time. Kids are crying. You know, you're stuck on the side of the road and you're waiting for somebody to help you out. Whereas I think making those recognizing like this isn't working, this isn't going perfect and I need to make some changes. I need to adjust course that can lead to a lot better outcomes, I think. Agreed. And there's a mental state that when you approach any big trip or expedition or whatever, that the problem solving is the trip, you know, and, and making good decisions is the trip. And then having a full understanding between the group of people, what the expectations of the trip is too, right. to the best of your abilities right. and knowing your thresholds of risk. Sure. And when your turnaround points are and stuff, it can manage a lot of that. Especially pressure. if everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Because if everybody's kind of in it for pushing that threshold, I remember, and we've talked about that in some of the content that we've put out on the Greenland trip and that you've got in the film that hopefully people get to see soon. We got to a point where we needed to make sure everybody was okay continuing. Yeah. We needed to, to start a dialogue around these are the risks. It's starting to feel unsafe to certain members of the party. There's decisions that need, needed to be made. And what ultimately ended up happening is that we made some concessions that felt safe enough to everybody. Yeah. Like we're going to only go this much further and then we're going to turn around instead of saying, we're just going to keep pushing towards the final goal. And we were fortunate that the clouds lifted and yeah. the sun, blue sky, the sun came out, the sun came out and it shined on our little expedition and we were able to make it to our goal, but that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you end up like that musk ox frozen yeah. in the snow. <laughs> yeah. So what, what Scott's talking about is when we got towards the top of Greenland on the Greenland expedition, we were crossing the, the long axis, crossing from south to north across the Greenland ice cap. And we were getting very close to the top of this really epically bad snowstorm. 
windstorm yeah. came in yeah. that was just blowing snow around. We were approaching the end of the ice cap, which means that the glaciers start to begin and there's crevasse zones. That, no question. And we were all like, we can't see three feet in front of us. We all have to maintain contact with the vehicles right now. Otherwise you could get lost. And we actually out. did lose visual contact at one point. We, remember? we did. Yeah. We did. We radioed each other's coordinates to yeah, each other. That's right. And we were 150 feet away from each other, something yeah. like that. Yeah, what it was, was, so it was so close the to each other. The dots were basically on top of each other. Yeah. But we couldn't see each other. That's right. So we were in that kind of an environment, which is an alien environment. It's so foreign. Totally. Pretty wild. So I worked through the film to, to tell that story. And I recognized a, a whole bunch of stuff about what was happening yeah. in that moment. The baseline was everyone was there. Absolutely. Everyone was there to reach the goal of getting to Wolfland, touching terra firma on the other side of the ice cap to say sure. that we crossed it. That was no doubt. What was starting to happen was there was a breakdown in communication of the understanding of what the conditions were and what we were going to encounter. Some guys knew what it was. You and Emil knew what it was. Sure. Some of us did. We don't really know what we're actually heading into here. Right. And so it caused a dialogue. Yeah. We had it over the radios. Yeah. We I, even had know. some in, in person. In some in person. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Dr. John coming up to the window and you're right. It was filling in that gap of we're not going to go into the crevasse zone if we can't see. If we and I think see. as soon as that was clear, then everybody felt comfortable. All right, we're going to keep going. Yeah. And then we could see. Then we could. Yeah. I mean, but what an amazing exercise. Yeah, it was. Of, of decision making and understanding yeah. where everybody was on the same page. Everyone is very aware of not having cascading events start to happen. That's right. To me, I think not to pat ourselves on the back, but that was like <laughs> the team was running at their fullest potential at that point, even though it wasn't feeling maybe smooth. It actually was smooth because yeah, we were all making things considered. good decisions as a team. Well, and and it was, it, you guys were communicating your concerns and then Emil and I were working on the, this is the data that we can share. And then Greg was taking that data in so he could make decisions on how we're going to proceed forward. And I think it really helped. It helped to have clear data and also have a clear understanding of people's concerns. I think that, that what happened there just before we reached the end, by the time that we had turned around and got back to where we got off the ice sheet again yeah. in Kangaroo Lusuak. Yep. That went so incredibly smooth at that point, it probably did. because of what had happened yeah, in the helped. north. It helped a lot. The decisions. So, because that was even, that was way crazier. <laughs> we'll have to wait for the movie. But, uh, which yeah, helped. Anyway. Do you have any updates on that you like yeah, to share? I, I've had uh, great conversations with Greg. We're working on, we've been working together on that film, like where to get it placed. And uh, it's Greg's, Greg Miller's film. So he had both had good ideas on where we wanted to take it, like Amazon and Netflix and things like that. And through a process called aggregation, we've come to some ideas that like where, where we can place it now. Yeah. So it's, it's getting closer. Yeah, that's nice. what I can say. Maybe we'll be able to make an announcement soon, which would I be awesome. So. I think people are really excited. I, it's amazing the number of, of requests I still get for like, where's the, the film? The, the longest teased film <laughs> short of Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> and a special thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI Outdoor Gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at GCIOutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. What were the takeaways for you 
from Alaska. What did you, what did Clay Croft learn from that? I learned that I had learned a lot. It's sometimes really nice to go go back to some places that are, for me, it's memorable. I had a lot of experiences there. And then when I went back there and to see how I was able to run and the food, the films we were able to shoot there, I was like, man, we have made some good progress. We've come here. a long way. We've come sure. a long way. And like, I know it. Because the last time that we were there in 2013, man, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. We were having like, we didn't know where we were in the films. We didn't know like, am I in episode five or am I episode seven? Sure. I have no idea. Now, when we were up there running, we were like, we're in episode four, somewhere around minute 20. Okay. You know, and the, and the filmmaking is so much better and we know what we're doing. And so to walk away, kind of just kind of like, okay, just a breath the fresh air saying like, okay, kind of know what we're doing now. Oh, you guys are so good. <laughs> you guys have done so amazing. Oh. So incredibly proud of you and Rochelle and the team. I mean, it's just, it's been so incredible to watch your journey. You guys keep doing more and more impressive adventures, but then even things like Alaska, where it's not so much that it's this overwhelming overland challenge, you addressed other challenges. Like how do we do a good job of sharing this craft with future generations? Yeah. And that's, it shows the point where you guys are at, which is really awesome. We love a challenge for sure, but we also really love a story. Yeah. You know, and storytelling is a powerful thing. So now that we have tools through experience and just, you know, in our filmmaking tool chest. We've got tools to use. We're able now to tell different stories and that's, that's fun too. We're not shy of a good adventure. (laughs) No doubt. Talking a little bit technical about trucks and stuff, what worked really well in Alaska and what didn't work so well in Alaska? We ran 35 inch tires, re-geared Tacomas. It's a big tire on a Tacoma. It's it's a big tire on a Tacoma. It was, uh, but we knew what Alaska holds. There's a lot of muskeg and mud and river crossings and stuff. And I was like, we just, frankly, we wanted to try it. Yeah, sure. And they look cool. They look fun. They do (laughs) look cool. I really, really loved running a 35 inch tire on a Tacoma. Am I, am I telling anybody out there to go do this? (laughs) No, I'm not saying that because there's a lot that you have to do to make this work. Because once you run 44s on a Hilux, you really want 35s on a Tacoma. Yeah. (laughs) You really want 44s on a Tacoma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Between the suspension that we had there, the re-gearing and the 35s and everything, those trucks drove so well. Awesome. It was awesome. The production. Did you run a mud tire? Yeah, we ran the X3, the Grabber X3. Nice. And which is a really great tire for Alaska. It's super tough. It's and it doesn't seem overly aggressive either, so it can handle some road miles and yeah, you can pound the too, miles not on. too loud. Yeah, yep. yeah they're nice. really great for that. We ran ATs the first year, and that tire did well. But we, you know, we have the choice working with General Tire what yeah. tire we want to run. I said, no, we're going back to Alaska. We're going to do a lot of rivers. We're going to do a lot of like the Dempster Highway in itself can be right. a thing, and it was. Let's run. Let's run the heavier X3s, the tougher tire, and it no doubt was the right decision. So then you guys went up to Tuktiuktuk as well then? Not on this trip. We, well, the, cause, oh, it was co- the other trip. Because of COVID. It. That's right. You yeah, and that's why Alaska. we ferried. You couldn't get into Canada, sure. A lot of folks were like, why'd you take the ferry? Why didn't you drive up? And I was like- So you went up the Dalton. Yeah, we went up the Dalton. Did I say the Dempster? Yeah. Oh, so I, I'm sorry. Okay. Got my turds wasted. <laughs> yeah, we had to take the ferry. We couldn't get into Canada right. and all that. I mean, I guess we- could have, but it would have just been, it was too much. Yeah, sure. It was just too much. Taking the Maritime Highway up to Alaska was fantastic. We hadn't done that either. And it's so oh, beautiful, as man. I understand. I've not done it, Dude, but I've you, heard it's beautiful. If, you know, I've, I've driven the Pan American, or not the Pan American, but that section of the, sure. the, the, the Alcan, Alcan sure. three or four times now. Sure. So it was really great to do something different, and yep. it was well worth it. Yeah. So if you're thinking about going up to Alaska, consider either going up or coming back on the Maritime Highway. Yeah, yeah. go one direction. Go, go on, one yeah. direction. Yeah. yeah. It is amazing. Uh, so you liked the 35s. That felt like a big win for the trucks. Anything else that you found worked 
just really, really great. That one thing where you're like, you know what, that one jacket. You know, we've gone to lithium batteries now. I, I think so much about production, like how much power draw we have. And right. And going to solar and lithium power, we have and using the Red Arc systems, just with how well they manage everything and that we monitor things, our power problems have gone away. Oh, that's good. That, it's been a thing. Yeah, like, sure. it's been a thing for a long time. It's not typical of every overlander that would have these types of power problems, but we're, sure. we're charged, we're flying big drones, sometimes up to 10, 13 times a day, big battery power packs, all of our cameras, all. Sure. So we got our power management systems like dialed <laughs> and we were like a win. running it felt like we were just ninjas up there. That's awesome. It was awesome. What didn't work so well? What What did you take away? We're like, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that next time. We built out Raven, which is our other 2020 Tacoma. Yeah. We had put deck drawer system in the back. We ran a go fast, but we didn't have time to like kind of organize it the best. It's amazing how if you don't get your organization dialed on a certain truck, how much resistance and drag it creates on a trip when you're moving things to get to things. And it's just, you can't see into stuff and you don't know where things sure. are. That truck kind of became a mess. And we have since reworked that truck from that expedition. That's probably the biggest takeaway. We decided that we wanted to go back to live-in camper system and have the drawers different for our operating in our living environment. Like sure. It's very unique to us. But that's that's the takeaway from there. It's like, okay, now what we have, where our trucks have gone with like how we built uh, Meridian with the AT Habitat and the live-in system, that is the right way for us to build a truck for what we're doing. Got it. Because you so. can get out of the weather, you can do work, yep. manage files and stuff at the end of the day. Yeah. We don't need a cargo truck. Right. We need a live-in truck. And so when we got back... And all those products, I'm not, I'm not dissing products or anything like that, or, or those companies. It's how we organize it and what we did with it. Yeah, sure. We just needed it to be different. And so we have done that now it's here at Expo completely rebuilt and that thing's a dream machine. That was the same thing that we experienced though, with the 79 series on expedition seven. So you had these land cruisers that you could sleep in. They were very efficient. They were intentionally austere. So you just couldn't have a bunch of junk in them. Yeah. And because of that, they were fast. They were efficient. Like you never wondered where something was. And then you had whoever was in the 79, the four-door short bed pickup. Yeah. There was no place for them to sleep. So they're setting up a tent. They're tearing down a tent. They're trying to get all their gear, all their bags out. And it ends up taking them three times longer to either set up camp. So then they get less rest and less restoration than the rest of the guys do. Yeah. And then it takes them three times longer to put everything away. And that gear also gets a lot more abuse because it's not yeah. stored properly. Things are bouncing around in the back of the truck. It's really heavy. So you're right. Once you end up with one vehicle that's kind of incongruent with the rest, it affects it affects the people that are in it and it also affects the whole trip. Yeah. The repercussions, the feel of it, like the impact yeah. is so real. And you might say, oh man, you might be listening and say like, oh, that seems really nitpicky. It, this usually really comes in play about day 10. Yeah, sure. You know, you can do anything for a weekend yeah, and, for and sure. do, you know, have fun. I do that all the time. You throw stuff in and go. Get this is, it. This yeah. is when you're like trying to make miles, go see countries, live, have to work, be on top of your game. This is the stuff that really starts to matter. It does. So, and that's where we're at now. We, we just, we got to build our lives around these trucks so that they're as efficient as possible so that sure. we can thrive and do the best work possible. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys did such a great job with that. Those that are listening, please check out the Alaska series from the folks at X Overland. It just turned out really great. Really neat to see that whole transformation yeah. for all of you guys along that. Thank you. You've got a couple of the things that are happening that are cool that people need to know about. So you've got the Overlander Network. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So the Overlander Network is, it's a new project. 
but it, it's something that we see as very valuable for the overland industry to continue to grow in its storytelling. Uh, right now, there's there's great resources through YouTube and, sure. and Vimeo and, and things like that, but there's not really a place that is really helping cultivate really high-end storytelling. Because frankly, if you want to succeed at YouTube, it needs to be produced as cheap and as quickly as possible. I have no idea how it works. It's (laughs) a race to the bottom. Yeah, we apply we apply our same strategies of quality towards that, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to make a difference. I could take a video with my cell phone and it's timely and it's maybe even something that's not available and it gets like 10 times more views. It's yeah, crazy. It's frustrating. So like you can go shoot, you know, a project that took you eight months to make yeah. and the viewership will be less than somebody, whatever, somebody just talked to their phone. Yeah. You know, so amazing. it is what it is, yeah, sure. you know, it's its own beast and it has its own advantages and stuff, but there's some serious oh, there's a disadvantages. lot of good that comes out of it too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, but there's a lot of disadvantages to like high end filmmaking. You know, it's just not an, a, an environment that's there to reward it. And I think as as we grow and we as the industry grows and people are exploring the world more, the camera tech has really come along a way that allows us to tell really amazing stories. We needed a place that will foster high end content that will reward it. Frankly, it has to come from behind a paywall. Yeah. Uh, because obviously YouTube just won't reward that sort of thing. There's anomalies to that for sure. But if you look at the long haul and what it would take to build a sustainable network, Network that would uphold high quality content. You got to change the model. Mm-hmm. Look at Disney Pluses and uh, other things that look totally the way that it's going. There's a lot of advantages to that to the viewership because it can actually support high end stuff. Yeah, stuff that's really fun to watch, but it costs money to make. So that's what we're working on there. It's new. We've got some. We've got a, already a base of subscribers there that have been holding on. And you're out there. Thank you for holding on as we are working through the business model changes and all that. We got a lot of exciting things coming on that. That, a lot of app development and backend stuff. That's what I'll leak right now. Yeah. Uh, awesome. But man, it, it just took an army of people at one time. I didn't know what I was getting into when I started this thing. You know, you're like, oh, this is a great idea. We should do this. <laughs> and it is a good idea, but it's like, okay, but it's going to take an army yeah. of people to do this. At one point, we've had 30 some people working on backend stuff to get the all the apps and the, the process and the user experience correct. Sure. 30 people. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a project. And how, do, a how do people get to that? So right now, overlandernetwork.com. And then, but soon they're going to be able to like download it as an app, be able to watch it and just like you would Disney plus and all that stuff. Awesome. So stay tuned. That's coming. And then we got a lot of cool, fun content. That's only going to go there yeah, that's for the great. people that have supported us and pay for, for that paywall. Yeah. They get the stuff. It'll never hit YouTube. Oh, that's cool. And then you started a podcast recently. So talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the um, name of the podcast? The X, X Overland podcast. Okay. Uh, it's a long, been a long time coming, but you know, just like anything, there's a lot of good ideas out there, but you got to wait for the right time to do sure. it right. And uh, we're a little late to the game, I suppose, but no, uh, not at all. It people was one we could get want there. Great content. Yeah. So we're really excited. We've, we've started it, just launched it here in May. May 11th is when it launched and it's doing really well. Everything about overlanding and a lot of stuff around Expedition Overland, like from filmmaking to the, the trips that we've done to the trucks that we've built, answering a lot of the questions that come through our Oh, that's a great idea. And, so you can actually have an episode on Meridian yeah. and you can talk about this is the vehicle, these are the suspension components we've put on it. So it answers all those questions that people have. What podcast do you like to listen oh, to? Yeah. Maybe they're Overland podcasts. Maybe they're not. Which ones do you really enjoy? Yeah. I listening listen to. I listen to all of yours. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I learned so much through your your guys's podcast. I'm always waiting on bated breath. For the next <laughs> Overland Journal podcast. I like Mike Glover's stuff. I yeah, really he's, like he's good. Field yeah, he's craft really survival. Good. He's super sharp guy. 
Super. That He's a great interviewer and yep. a lot of good energy. I like his thinking, like how he thinks, just the way he thinks. His approach. is yeah. really cool. His approach. There you go. Art of Manliness is always a fun one. I haven't listened to that yeah, one. I'll have to check that out. A, that's all. You can learn. But I have, good... I have seen their website and stuff in yeah, the past. That's yeah. a fun one. Order of Man. Ryan Mickler, Jack Carr's podcast. I've been listening to a lot of that. I've never listened to it, but I've, I've heard of people talking about it. A lot of intellectual stuff. Like he, you know, he, he comes from the SEAL team world. Yeah. He's interviewing like really sharp intellectual people inside the like defense space and beyond like so much sure. more too. So I learned a lot. Is it like a Jocko Willink podcast a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little softer than Jocko. Oh so yeah. It, yeah. Jocko still hasn't like taken a breath. In yeah, like twenty something years. It's like, amazing. Just breathe, man. Yeah, breathe. just breathe. Just breathe. Welcome to the Jocko Podcast. <laughs> so, but uh, I've been listening to a lot of books, though. Okay. Yeah. And what what books have you been listening to that you're digging on? If you haven't listened to Endurance, you need to. Yeah. On Shackleton's. It's amazing, especially uh, since they just found the boat. Yeah, they just found it, which is so it, incredible. Incredible. The River of Doubt. Okay. Have you read on Teddy Roosevelt's uh, journey. Oh, through the. Through the jungles of South America. Yeah, right? just after yeah. his failed third presidency right. term. It nearly um, killed him, didn't it? Oh, they man. Were tell, they were telling, he was telling his kid to like, that leave me behind. You have to read this book. Yeah, I've not read it. it. I've heard it's amazing. Yeah. It, I was like, man, we are just, if you ever think you're doing anything cool, <laughs> be prepared to be humbled. Because yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the great age of exploration, those guys were just. No question. Three, 10 times the level of yeah. suffer fest that we talk about. And like, yeah. you know, oh, I'm going to go on a trip and I'm going to be gone for a month. They would leave for three months just to start their trip. Just to get there. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've been enjoying a lot of books like that and it's kind of been encouraging me to like get back into big stuff and adventurous. Things. Yeah. That's, yeah. They're so impressive. Those early explorers to yeah. just are unbelievable what they endured. And, it, and maybe it comes back to kind of what you talked about with kids is it's amazing what human beings can endure if they choose to. They choose to. If they, yeah. if they take the steps towards experiencing something exceptional in their life, it's amazing what the human being, what human beings can do, what, yeah. what we can actually accomplish. It's been kicking my butt a little yeah. bit. Like, okay, I got to get my, <laughs> my crap together. Yeah. You know? We've all, and we've also got to be a little bit, give ourselves a little bit of grace too. You have three boys that are growing up and they need their dad around and all yep. that. So, yep. that, and in those books that we read of these great explorers, you often don't see the, the damage that occurs in their wake. There was some serious cost yeah, that's to right. those things. That's right. And the idea of it all is certainly romantic, Yeah, but there is fallout yeah. in their lives. And if you follow, if you read up on a lot of these guys later in their life, that's right. it, it actually, you can see where the repercussions of those great expeditions and stories. That's right. There is fallout. So maybe that's the opportunity that we have in the modern age is to recognize that there are consequences for kids and for other family members and for, for people that are supporting you where there's a way to do that a little more thoughtfully. Kind of like what you just did in Alaska. Yeah. Like, let's, uh, yeah let's have the kids involved with that. And in the next trip, I'm trying to get more kids involved. I got the van, all the van Stralin kids coming. And then my oldest son will be coming. Well, let's talk about that. So yeah. this oh, pod, yeah. this podcast is going to come out after your announcement tonight yep. at the Equipped X oh, Overland right. Party. You're right. At, that is tonight. I should prepare myself. <laughs> well, this will be your this will be your uh, dry run of announcing it go. on the podcast. Very exciting. It's very ambitious, just due to the timing of the world. But we are about to start production. We are actually already have started production on season five, the Nordic series. We'll be shipping to Europe, Finland. Sweden, Norway, and Iceland, a 10-part series. I'm going to try to get them all at 45 minutes each. Amazing. It's, there's, it's going to be 10 45-minute films and of our journeys traveling that 
side of the world. You talked about some philanthropic efforts while you're there as well. Is there any of that you want to share? We, we are working a mission in Poland, which we are calling phase one, and uh, we'll see how far we get. And I don't know if we'll ever touch Ukraine or any of that. There's so many. I had meetings on this yesterday here with people. On There's a logistics. lot of dynamics around it. The dynamics are incredible. But uh, if we can, we would like to do some humanitarian efforts. There's right. a lot of humanitarian things. Whether I don't care where you are on the politics of it all. Yeah. There's people that are hurting that's and right. suffering. They need help. Yeah. And they need help. And that's that's what we'll be there for. What we're going to make sure of is that we're there to help yeah. and not, not make a stunt of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, but we all like, that's all part of what we like to do. Yeah, sure. It's Give back of, a little bit yeah. to these places. So we want to do that if it makes sense. If not, we won't. Yeah. But, but we're working very hard on that right now. Finland will be fantastic. There's a bunch of four-wheel driving to do there. Are you going to get into Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia at all? Well, right think? now, yeah, you got to like thread the needle right against Russia right That's now. right. That's my goal. Yeah. Like if we can do that, what an amazing time in the world in history yeah. to go through those places. Right well, now. and Tallinn, Estonia is just, it's just a beautiful city. I mean, and then that's where you take the ferry over across the sea Finland. there. And have you, you've done that. Yeah, it's great. How long is that ferry? Overnight. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. Not, it's not a big deal. It is perfect. So yeah, and, and I think then we'll run all really the way up there, it. try to experience a lot of the, I love the, the Arctic regions. Yeah. Oh. You'll go up over the Arctic Circle again yep. and on another continent. Yep. And then you talked about going to Nordcap, which is the furthest mm. point north that you can drive on a road that's on a continent. So, yeah. I mean, there are, you can go up to Svalbard and there's roads up there, but, but you, you couldn't know, drive there. Yeah. Or like yeah. what we did, what we yeah. did in Greenland, you can yep. drive over some snow, but this is an actual road that goes to extremely far North, uh, much further North than you would find in Tuktiaktuk or in Prudhoe yeah. Bay. So I don't know the latitude of it, but if we do this, we've been to the farthest North that we can drive in North America. This will be in Europe. Yeah. And then we've done it in Greenland. Right. That one's going to be tough to beat. I don't, you can't beat that one. Well, unless, and, and I mean, you could. Well, and you were actually at the farthest no, north that you can drive in Asia on a road already with me when we were on E7. You can drive further north on ice roads in okay. Russia. But when we were in Russia and we went up to Magadan, there's a point where you the go very top up, and then yeah, turns that's back right, down. Before it turns back ah, down. That's, that's the, actually the furthest north that you can drive in Asia. Cool. So, well, it's a very overlandy thing to go check the box, which is fun. Oh, of course yeah, it is. Uh, you know, of course it is. I is mean, is it that significant? I guess it is. Well, no, it's just, it's, fun. Really it's just fun. a fun thing to do along the way. You're yeah. like, yeah, this is like, this is a pretty unusual spot on the yeah. planet. Yeah. So reaching the ends of the earth is pretty cool. Cause they usually yield surprises like tuck tuck tuck. What a surprise yep. to get there. And you can, you can get ice cream in tuck tuck tuck. <laughs> yeah. You, know, yeah. you really, I mean, there's people that are having day-to-day lives. They run the local general store. And yep. to us, it feels like this incredible yeah. adventure to get there. And to them, it's their day-to-day. It's just every day. And Nordcap is similar. There's the, there are these beautiful Norwegian cities that are up there. They're stunning. And this is their day-to-day. Yeah. There's like an accountant that's going to work yeah. as you're driving by on what feels like an adventure of a lifetime. Yeah. So it's all about perspective. And I think that's what we gain so much from our travels, right, Clay, is that mm-hmm perspective of how other people live allows us to be more considerate of that. I mean, think of all of those people that we interacted with in Russia. They're suffering now too. Yes, they are. And that's not to take away from 
It's not to make a statement about anything. It's just that people are suffering. Individuals are suffering as a result of this conflict. These are people that you and I interacted with. Yeah. Great people. Yeah. Really they, were one, they were wonderful people and they wanted to take pictures with us and they wanted to like, remember all those guys with the guns and yeah. stuff and they just like grabbed me and they wanted yeah, like, to take a picture with this Neanderthal yeah. looking dude, you know, yeah. and it was awesome and it yeah. was awesome. And, and that's the perspective that we gain is that people are generally good and governments are generally screwed up. And if we remember that people are generally good, then it allows us for some empathy despite what's going on. Exactly. I've seen it all over the world. It's truly about people. Overlanding is about seeing the people and you have have to interact with the governments that have to right. run these people, but right. it's there's bureaucracy. Yeah, it's everywhere. And I think yeah. that that's part of the adventure is overcoming yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. That's why I oh, love, yeah. that's why I love border crossings. People are like, I, I love border crossings because yeah. it is mass pandemonium. Yeah. And, it's and there's a, some problem you got to solve. Yeah. And a smile goes such a long way. And a sticker. Yeah. A cold drink. <laughs> totally. You, yeah. yeah. I remember the first time I handed a cold Coke to a Mexican uh, military guy that was handling a checkpoint and and I handed him this ice cold Coca-Cola and the grin on his face. Yeah. I mean, I didn't Best need friends. to do, he didn't ask for it, but it was just like a way. And it was after they'd already checked me out. I was about yeah. ready to leave. So it wasn't like I was trying to bribe him or anything. Yeah. Just totally made a difference in his day. I go travel the world, huh? Yeah. That's what it all comes down to. Or whatever, whatever version of the world that means for whoever's listening. That's true. There are people that are going to have. Uh, different adventures than you and I have. And it's going to see the world that you want to see, whatever version of adventure that is. Yeah. And it is all extremely valuable. Yeah. Whatever that is. So much about it. Yeah. We've, we've been able, you and I are very fortunate to have been doing some amazing, incredible things over the years, but just going backpacking or overlanding with your family is so incredibly important. I would say it's better. I would say it's, I would yeah. say someone taking their family and their kids out to have an adventure like that, even if it's to Southern Utah, it's, it's far cooler than anything I've ever done because it's going to make a huge difference in those kids' lives. Absolutely. Um, it's a reminder that we have such short time here, such short time with the people that we love and that we can really influence kids. I mean, they're going to grow up off yeah. they go and they're going to take those skills that they've learned, like what you did in Alaska and that'll, that'll serve them for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. Clay, man, I'm just always so proud of you. Proud of you guys. Thank you. You, you guys too. just do such an amazing, amazing job. Inspirational content that you put out. Content that really makes a difference for people. And I'm just grateful for all of it. And it's just always such an honor to have you on the podcast too. Thank you. Thanks again. Yeah, man. Appreciate your friendship. Love you, man. I love you. Yeah. All right, brother. See you. Yeah. And we'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>